0: Uh, you would do some comparison shopping by going to the dealerships, looking at the car, examining the features, maybe a test ride. You were looking for quality, you were looking for price, you were looking for outcome, the car that would suit you best and last a long time. Then people began to do a little more comparison shopping by simply picking up a newspaper and examining the ads and maybe calling the dealership and asking questions. That played a large role in their final decision. But now today, you can buy a car over the internet without ever going to the dealership. In fact, they'll even deliver the car to you. Comparison shopping is amazing because of all the information that is found on the internet, and you can be quite confident that you're getting the best deal and that you're getting the best car never having seen it. Comparison shopping. Sometimes the Bible does that. Comparison shopping. That is, it puts two lifestyles up against each other and lets you see all the features and understand the outcome and the quality of each and the price that you'll pay for both and where they'll end up in your life. That's really what Paul is doing in Ephesians 4. We could call it comparison shopping. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul is going to compare not an item to buy, but a lifestyle to live. He's going to compare two different walks. The word walk refers to a lifestyle, how we live. In fact, it's translated in the NIV to live. But the actual word means to walk around. And it's a metaphor for going through life. The way you process, the way you think, the way you decide, and the way you act. This is your walk. And I really enjoy, I kind of like keeping that metaphor in place because it is so important. So in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says to us, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, and there he uses his apostolic authority by insisting, I insist that you must no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do. The word Gentile refers to pagans. It's the non jew so it's the people who don't know God. And here he's basically describing the unworthy walk, typical of those who don't know God. Now, in comparison, go back to chapter uh, 4, verse 1. Paul says, I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. I want you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. You've been called out of darkness to light, chapter 2. You call yourself a Christian. Well, then live a life that's consistent with Appropriate with this name you have embraced. Christian. Live a worthy life, a worthy walk, verse 1, and an unworthy walk, verse 17. Compare the two. Look at the features. Uh, Notice their outcome. See the price that you pay when you're involved with one as the other. See where they end up. That's what Paul is saying. Now, he tells them that they need to make sure that this walk that they're involved with, this life, truly honors God. The word walk, if you have an older translation like the New King James Authorized Version, they'll retain the word walk, and you'll find it several times in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. You used to be dead in your sins, you used to walk in this condition. But chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has prepared that we should walk in them. So from dead deeds to good works, walk in them. And then the word walk is used twice in chapter 4. We've seen it, the worthy walk of verse 1, the unworthy walk, the Gentile walk of verse 17, which we'll examine in a moment. But then when you get to chapter 5, it says in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. Verse 8, walk as children of the light. Live as children of the light. And then finally in verse 15, walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. So Paul says, let's do some comparison shopping. Let's first of all look at the way they walk, and then let's look at the way we walk. Let's compare them and see which one has the greatest value. So as though Paul were taking an x-ray of the unbelieving soul, he examines what really makes them tick within. Why they do what they do. The problem of paganism. How come they have this unworthy, godless walk? But with amazing accuracy, Paul pinpoints the problem. And it has to do with the way they think. Look at verse 17. So I tell you this, Paul says, insist on it as an apostle in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. I tell you, does that describe the attitude of most people in our modern society? It's uncanny how Paul exposes the problem within. Well, let's call this unworthy walk degeneration. Degeneration, which means it's getting worse. It's going down like a vicious, horrible downward spiral, going from bad to worse. And when we look at the factors that Paul has mentioned, I want to put them in at least what seems to me chronological order. Meaning you start number one with the hardening of the heart that is mentioned at the last part of verse 18. Because he says in verse 18 that the ignorance and the darkness and the separation are all due to the hardening of their heart. That is, there was a point in time in which they rejected God and said no to God. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down Romans chapter 1 because this is a wonderful commentary on this section of Scripture. The two run with a parallel precision of uncovering the thinking of the pagan mind. What does Romans 1 say? Although they knew God, they would not glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations, their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened and they exchanged the glory of the creator for the glory of the creature. And then they gave themselves over the very unnatural practices which God had not approved of. It starts with a hardening of the heart, of a rejection of God. It's very interesting. The word that is used here for hardening is the word porsis. And we use it in the medical term osteoporosis, porcis. In osteoporosis, it's where the bones that have natural small holes and healthy marrow, the holes begin to enlarge and the marrow is weakened and thinned and the bones become brittle, hard and fragile and easily broken. The word used in the first century sometimes referred to marble or even a callus, the medical term of a callus where there was a hardening on the skin itself. So when we reject God, the morrow of life, we become brittle and hard. We lose life. We become insensitive and easily broken. That's the picture. Hardness because of rejection. And that's what's happening in our world today. Although Men know about God. And by the way, there is enough light in creation to make all people culpable, right? To inform us that that there is a God out there. Although they knew about God, they would not glorify him as God. And once you take that stand, the downward spiral begins. And it's a problem of thinking. Poor living is based on poor thinking. So you go from the hard heart to a darkened understanding, which is mentioned in verse 18. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they don't want to come to the light lest they be exposed. So they long to stay in the darkness. Where does that come from? Rejecting God. The result of dark understanding is ignorance, ignorance within. They don't know the truth. It's not that these people are not intellectuals. It's not that they have a problem with the ability to think. It's that they have rejected the God of life and all they deal with could be described as ignorant of truth. They don't have all the answers. Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without all the pieces? Well, you'll do it if you're missing a few pieces, but what if you're missing over half the pieces? Then it becomes really difficult. Ignorant because of darkness. And by the way, they are separated, or verse uh, number four, alienated from the life of God. They've been cut off from life. The source of wisdom, the source of truth, the ignorance produces, produces alienation. By the way, this is exactly what Paul said back in Ephesians chapter 2 that uh, you are separated from God, you're strangers to the covenants of promise, you're without hope, and you're without God. That's when your thinking becomes futile. Your philosophies are at best useless because God is not in the picture. And it's based on not all the puzzle pieces, ignorance. And then finally, when you have a vain philosophy and foolish thinking, verse 19, you lose all sensitivity. You can't discern what is right and you can't discern what is wrong. And you give yourself over to what pleases you, to your senses. A life of sensuality. If it feels good, do it, is the motto of verse 19. And then you indulge in every kind of impurity, thinking that it is fine, that it is acceptable, that it is good. And not only that, you continually lust for more. You're greedy for more experience in deeper sensuality. I tell you, that describes our society. Why? Because... They rejected God. You see, the mind matters. Your mind matters. Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man, as a person thinks in their heart, so you are, so you become. As you think, so you are. The way you think informs the way you live. The thoughts of the mind form the activity of the life. And so our meditations, our deliberations within our mind, calculating and forming and shaping the destiny of our soul as well as the behavior of our life, our walk. To change the way you live, you've got to change the way you think. But the unbeliever doesn't do that because he's separated from life and there's nothing that makes any sense in the Christian life. And and that's why you've got some people who are very intellectual. They're geniuses and yet they deny God. How can they be so brilliant and not embrace the Lord? They've rejected him. They've suppressed the truth that they truly know. And the result is darkness and ignorance in spiritual things. They think life is all about science. They think life is all about pleasure. They think life is all about achievement. Sinclair Ferguson said this, while the unbeliever may affirm that their rejection of the Christian faith is fundamentally a matter of intellect. In other words, if I'm going to have intellectual integrity I cannot believe the Christian faith because there are so many hypocrites. Religion is filled with hypocrisy. And by the way, it's not hard to find hypocrisy in religion. Take a few samples, you find it, and then you conclude it's all the same. And you say, if I'm going to be intellectually honest, I cannot accept this hypocrisy. So you stand aloof from the Christian faith and God and Christ, thinking it's an intellectual thing. Ferguson goes on to say, really? It's a matter of rebellious disposition, the rebellious disposition of the heart that drives and directs the intellect. In other words, you have a moral problem. So the next time you're in a university class and the teacher stands up and says, there is no God and God has not made us and the Bible is not true, raise your hand and stand up and say, you have a moral problem. That'd be a bold thing to say, but you're right on biblically. You're right on. For someone to make such a confession, they're revealing that they love darkness rather than light, that they're ignorant of the truth of God. Although there's enough truth in the heavens that should lead them to acknowledge Him, they suppress that truth. They reject that truth. Their mind and heart are hard, and they're given over to living a life that just pleases them. Some certainly are more advanced in sensuality than others, but this is the heart of the pagan. This is the pagan problem. They need Christ. So it's a walk of degeneration getting worse. It's unworthy, certainly, of those who name the name of Christ. And that's where you've got a great change that takes place, a crisis, as it were, in verse 20. The Apostle Paul acknowledges their conversion The time when they learned Christ. Look at verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. It wasn't that path that led you to Christ. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is found in Christ. This was the pivotal point of of change. This encounter with Jesus. Nico sang a moment ago about this being real in our soul. Wasn't that a great song, by the way? I tell you, we are so blessed to have the kind of music we do around this place. The volunteers who play, uh, Pastor Korb leading, it's just a rich, rich blessing. And the message of that song really touched me. It's it's real. This thing about Christ is, is real, should be real in your life. And that's what verse 20 and 21, they're talking about. Three fascinating expressions that talk about this transformation, this conversion. And it's almost like it's in in the metaphor, in in the picture of a classroom. The subject is Christ. You have learned Christ. That's a very unusual way to talk about knowing a person. You learn habits and you learn languages, but this is talking about learning Christ. And it means more than just learning about Christ. It means learning Jesus. Intimately being related to him. And then notice Jesus is also the teacher. Verse 21. I have on the screen a translation that I think is a little more accurate. It's the New King James translation, at least in this one verse. It says, If indeed you have heard him. The NIV says... Surely you heard of him. It's more than that. Or one translation says, you've heard about him. It's more than that. And those words aren't in the original. The original simply says you've heard Christ. When did you hear Christ? When the word of God made sense. When the word of God powerfully convicted you. When the Holy Spirit used the word of God to change you. That's called regeneration. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God that is alive, that lives forever. And God uses his living word to create life in your soul. The theological term is regeneration, and the result is conversion. You learned Christ. Before, he was all in the dark. Before, you didn't acknowledge him. You were ignorant of who he was. You weren't sensitive to truth, but now you're sensitive, and now you're convicted, and now you're convinced. In the core of your being, something radical has changed called conversion. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creature, a new creation. It's radical. So Christ is the subject. We learn the truth regarding Christ. Christ is the teacher. We heard him. We've been taught by him. And Christ, as it were, is the classroom. The truth is in Jesus. That means it's in the environment of the classroom, of the person of Christ. It's all about Christ. It's not me merely having a new way to think. It's me being changed at the core of my being by Christ. I've encountered Christ, and it's real. And when it's real, the life changes. And that's the next thing that Paul goes into, this idea of transformation to the worthy walk. Christ makes the difference. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That was the description, verse 17 through 19 to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So if life is described as a walk, And the unworthy walk is being separated from God and filled with darkness and ignorance and insensitive to what is right and wrong and given over to sensuality. What is the worthy walk like? Well, it's like putting off and putting on. Did you notice that? Put off your old self like you put off bad clothes. The corrupt, deceitful desires of the pagan way. And verse 24, put on the new self, which is like God. Put on the new self, which is godly and righteous. Put on the new person, totally different. Put off, put on. Now it's interesting, Paul is not really making these commands. He's acknowledging these as realities. You've already done this. Now live consistently with this. Often in the Scripture, the idea of being clothed speaks of us coming to Christ. For instance, Psalm 132 talks about being clothed with righteousness. In Isaiah 61, verse 10, put on the garment of salvation, which is the righteousness of Christ. We're to put off the deeds of the old man and put on the deeds of the new. Now, clothes do not make the man but they often describe them. You put on a set of, uh, of clothes, you put on a uniform that doesn't necessarily make you a soldier, but soldiers wear uniforms. If a person is dressed in a police uniform, driving a car that has a light flashing on the top, you, you conclude that this describes them as a law enforcement individual. And so you live accordingly, right? Right? Now, you can put that on and not be that. That's exactly what the devil does. He parades like an angel of light, dressed as a minister of righteousness, when in his heart he's deceptive. So clothes do not make us, but they often describe us. And Paul is simply saying, make sure, since you've changed your role, that you change your clothes. Live accordingly. Recently, there was a refugee camp where some people were taken from a very dangerous situation and they had absolutely nothing. And when they came to this camp filled with compassionate people, they gave them nutritious food and they cleaned them up. By the way, these refugees had a lice problem. It was in parasites in their hair, on their bodies, in their clothes. So they cleaned them up and gave them nourishing food and then they put their old lice-filled clothes back on them and said, now you're all good. No. They gave them new clothes. Or at least clean clothes. Fresh clothes. How inconsistent would it be to put on the old clothes again? And that's what Paul is saying. You're new in Christ. Take off the old and put on the new. But what's the secret? How do you do it? Verse 24. Put on the new self, or verse 23. We put on the new self by being made new in the attitude of our minds. The secret to the pagan way is the mind, and the secret to the Christian way is the mind, because we are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Do you love God with your affections? Do you love God with your will? Do you love God with your mind? Your mind needs to be renewed. Coming out of World War II, the term brainwashing always had a negative uh, connotation to it, that it was propaganda, an error that somehow was flooding into your mind. But there is a positive spin, and that is as a believer, you need your brain washed by the washing of the water of the word. You need to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so you begin to think like God thinks. You need to be reprogrammed because you have a bad program and a bad mind leads to bad living. So it goes like this. If you want to change the way you live, change the way you think. And if you want to change the way you think, you've got to, change, you've got to be changed in the core of your being. There's got to be conversion. And then every day, renew your mind based on the truth of God's word. Remember Romans chapter 12? I beseech you, brethren, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God. This is your reasonable response to the mercy of God that has been explained in the first 11 chapters. Submit yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed, how? How? Renewing of your mind. And how do I renew my mind? Washing of the water of the word. That takes away the filth. And then there is the renewing of the truth. The truth being programmed into my mind and thinking. Turn to Psalm 19 for a minute. Psalm 19 is a great psalm that talks about revelation. First of all, we call it general revelation in that God has revealed himself in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies shout out. He's an artist. Day after day, they keep speaking. Night and after night, they don't stop. And there's no place on planet Earth where the message of God's glory hasn't been heard. God has revealed himself all over this world so that men are without excuse. But they don't acknowledge him as God, they don't glorify him as God, and thus starts the downward spiral. But in verse 7, God talks about revelation from a different perspective. Now he talks about special revelation, the inscripturated word of God, God's word given to man and written down. Notice the different names for the Bible. The law of the Lord the statutes of the Lord. Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. And verse nine, I like this, the fear of the Lord. Do you know that's a good name for your Bible? Excuse me while I go get a copy of the fear of the Lord. (laughs) Think about it. I'm gonna take down this book. Today I'm gonna read from the fear of the Lord. Reverence for God, fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. Every time you open up this book, It is intended to introduce you to how great God is, and you should respond with submission. But notice all the blessings that the Word of God provides. Verse 7 renewing the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, renewing the soul. That's exactly what we're talking about in Ephesians 4 mind renewal. It'll make you wise. Verse 8 it'll bring you joy, it'll bring light to your eyes. And this fear of the Lord that is pure, it is worthy, it is perfect, untainted. It will endure forever. The commands and ordinances of God are sure. They're righteous altogether. And they're more precious than gold. And they're sweeter than honey. Take them in daily, you'll be warned, as you should be. Take them in daily and they will give to your heart and life great reward. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind by the washing of the water of the word and the wonderful life imparted from the living word of God to your soul. Because your mind matters. And the way you think is the way you live. And so if we think God's thoughts after him and we think about God and we meditate upon his truth and we allow that truth to renew our thinking, it will change our living and the world will notice we think differently. I love the true story about the young man who was a football player at Columbia University and he wasn't very good. His dad died and he went home for the funeral, but came back to play in the Saturday game. He said to the coach, I want to play in the championship game this Saturday. The coach said, I have two problems with that. Number one, it's the championship game. And number two, you're not very good. But the man, the young boy was so insistent that the coach finally said, okay. And he put him in just to return the first kickoff. And the guy almost ran it back for a touchdown. So the coach put him in for some more plays. Back in that day, players would often play both offense and defense. On defense, he had more tackles than anyone else. On offense, he scored a couple touchdowns. They won the championship game. This young man was the MVP of the game, and they went to the locker room, and the coach said, what in the world got into you? And the player said, coach, did you know my dad? Coach said, no, I, I didn't. I, I know you guys were close. I saw you walking arm in arm across campus, but I, no, I didn't know your dad. And the player said this, Coach, my dad, was blind for his whole life. And today was the first day he got to watch me play football. And I played today not for my own glory, not even for our team to win the championship. I played because the eyes of my father were watching. me. And that change of thinking produced an amazing change in playing And the same thing will happen to us. If we know God and we live in His conscious presence, knowing that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, if we play, if we live, if we walk before God, seeking to please Him, knowing that He's there to protect us and His Word in us to guide us, if we think that way, it will radically change the way we live for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, take our lives from the unworthy walk to the worthy walk for the glory of Christ, we pray.